Well, good morning. Welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad you're joining us. It's better in the room, but welcome also to those joining us online today. A few years ago, Tim and I watched with our then uh, all teen daughters the Italian movie Life is Beautiful, uh, directed by and starring Roberto Benigni. You may have seen it. And Benigni plays Guido Orofice, a Jewish Italian bookshop owner who employs his fertile imagination to weave a playful fantasy world to shield his very young son from the horrors of the internment camp that they were in uh, run by the Nazis. And in doing so, the father ends up dying, having given the gift of life and maybe most importantly, psychological freedom to his young son. It is a deeply affecting film, especially as a parent, because that's what parents are meant to do, right? To sacrifice anything and everything to look after their children. This morning, we're on week two of our Preparing for Easter teaching series, looking at five stories from the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, stories where the cross of Jesus dying on the cross is foreshadowed because as Tyler said last week, the cross, it isn't an accident. All of human history revolves around it. The cross is where everything changes for every single person in the world. And if you're spiritually searching, this few weeks can change your life. However, the passage that Susan just read is one of the hardest in the whole Bible. The great patriarch Abraham is tested by God and asked to offer his beloved son in a burnt sacrifice. This is an encounter without precedent in the Old Testament. And a Yiddish folktale goes something like this. Why did God not send an angel as a messenger, like God usually does, to tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Because God knew that no angel would take such a task. Instead, the angels said, God, if you want to command death, do it yourself. So many challenges lie in this passage, and there's a reason it's not in your child's Bible. The very first line, after these things, God tested Abraham. We don't like the idea of God testing us, and the idea that the test would be killing one of our own children, I mean, it is abhorrent. In an era of violent religious extremism, isn't this a deeply dangerous text, a story of God commanding the killing of a child? to accomplish God's work in the world? How on earth could this impact our lives positively? One option, of course, is just to completely ignore this text, right? But if we ignore such difficult texts, we're complicit in what I call historical snobbery, of believing that somehow we are more advanced or sophisticated than our ancestors, right? A sort of linear racism, if you like, us sophisticated people, after all, we've got nuclear technology, the ability to annihilate the entire world. We can leave behind such primitive stories, like the almost sacrifice of Isaac. And with the person of Abraham, we're now in that blurry time period uh, that scholars would say is between prehistory and history, uh, possibly the late Bronze Age, regardless. Like the story of the Garden of Eden last week, this story teaches us truth. It is the word of God, truth about who God is, truth about who we are, 
truth that can still powerfully impact our daily lives. And as we start, it's worth looking at the details of the story. First verse, it begins. It's Genesis 22, if you want to uh, follow it along in your own Bible. After these things, God tested Abraham. What do these things include? Well, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis detail how humanity was created and then how things began to spiral out of control. Chapter 12 is pivotal because God comes to a man named Abraham, tells him to leave his home, go to a land he's never seen, telling him that God is going to heal and rescue the whole world through Abraham's descendants. Okay, says Abraham. One day, God says, the Messiah is going to come out of your family tree, and in each generation, there's going to be one child, one, who will carry the promise of the Messiah, a Messiah who will give broken humanity a way back into relationship with me. Abraham then has two sons by two different women, Ishmael by his African slave girl, Hagar, and then Isaac by his wife, Sarah. Long story, family drama. Abraham, at jealous wife Sarah's insistence, then cast out his first son Ishmael with great sorrow. And then God commands the unthinkable. Now remember that God has chosen Abraham to be the father of Israel, the nation out of which the Messiah would come. This is C-suite recruiting. But first God has to mold Abraham into the right shape. And now comes the final test. Verse 2. Take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Jewish rabbis have imagined the scene. God said, take your son. Abraham said, I've got two. God answered, your only son. Abraham said, each is the only son of his mother. God said, the one whom you love. Abraham replied, is there any limit to a father's love? God answered, Isaac. Abraham does what God commands. He sets out with Isaac. They reach the place of sacrifice. Abraham builds an altar. He ties up Isaac, reaching out his hand to take a knife and presumably slit his throat. The dramatic tension could not be higher. And at that moment, God calls out with great urgency, Abraham, Abraham. And with unspeakable relief, Abraham replies for the third time in this story, here I am. And then these wonderful yet terrifying words from God, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham seems to have been free to decide what to do. And reading this story generously, one could argue that God imposes this one-time test on Abraham because all of God's eggs were in the Abraham basket. And God needed to know if Abraham was up for the job. Was he faithful? But it's still a terrifying story. What life-changing truth could there be for us? Well, for starters, Abraham has faith because it wasn't his first rodeo with God. This wasn't Abraham's first experience with God. They'd had plenty of encounters by now, both in the midst of Abraham's successes, but also, and maybe more, more importantly, 
in the midst of Abraham's failures. Abraham had had some strategic failures and some moral ones, and God had not abandoned him. Abraham had experienced God as good and faithful. And those of us here who are learning how to follow Jesus, we already have experiences in our lives where God showed up, both in the good times and the bad. But we also have the incredible record of how God has worked throughout history in the Bible. That's why we read the Bible every day as part of our rhythm of life, to remind ourselves this is who God is. This is how good God is. And if you're searching and you've got questions, the Bible as a record of God's character is for you as well. And today, after the service, ask someone over coffee to tell you about a time where God showed up for them. But most importantly, for our purposes this morning, this story is pointing us to the cross of Christ. The famous 20th century Jewish artist, Marc Chagall, illustrated this so powerfully in this painting. It's called The Binding of Isaac. And you can see Jesus carrying the cross on which he was to be crucified in the background of this painting. This painting illustrates how the entire story is what scholars call prophetic reenactment. Throughout the Bible, God would use prophets to point to a God-shaped future, and they were fantastic communicators. And so they didn't merely uh, speak their prophecies. Sometimes they would actually act them out, right? Jeremiah, uh, he smashed jars in public. The prophet Ezekiel, he baked bread over human waste, all to get their point across. And this encounter of Abraham with God is a prophetic reenactment, a, a dramatic foreshadowing the almost sacrifice of a beloved son to point us towards the actual sacrifice of another beloved son. Abraham didn't even necessarily think Isaac was going to die. When they reached the mountain, Abraham said this to his servant, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and then we will come back to you. Notice how it records that both Abraham and the boy Isaac will come back on the return journey. At least some part of Abraham trusted the character of God and knew that God would not require child sacrifice, something that other tribal deities at the time did require. And then Abraham's response to Isaac's question where the lamb for the burnt offering was going to come from, God himself will provide the lamb. It seems again, there's at least part of Abraham who was prepared to do what God asked him while he expected that something else would actually unfold. And he was right. In a sense, Isaac was resurrected, given back to his father as God provided a ram to take his place. You see, the entire Bible points towards Jesus. And Genesis 22, is a sparkling example of this. Both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited treasured sons, born to women who shouldn't have been having babies. Isaac to very elderly Sarah, Jesus to a young virgin named Mary. Both sons, they carry the wood that is to be the instrument of their deaths 
on their backs. Isaac carried the wood up Mount Moriah. Jesus carried the cross up the Mount of Golgotha. Isaac submitted to his father's will. And while Jesus wrestled with his father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, he too was obedient. In both circumstances, God provides a sacrificial substitute, a ram, a male lamb, caught in the tangle of bushes, so Isaac is spared. And then Jesus, caught in a tangle of iron nails and a crown of thorns, so we are spared. Spared the final consequences of our sinful lives, absorbing all our evil into the wood of that tree, as Tyler said last week, so we actually have a future to live into. This ancient story emerging from the mists of our long-ago ancestors, it powerfully holds up the cross of Jesus before us. What is this truth then that shines into our lives? Well, for one thing, it reminds us that if I don't have the faith of Abraham, which I don't, what matters is the object of my faith, not the amount. What matters is who I have my little bit of faith in, my little bit of trust in. Strong faith in my career success or my relationships always working out? Strong faith in that is fatally inferior to a tiny bit of faith in the creator of the universe. Abraham's future, it must have looked frightening, right? As far as he could initially tell, his future included killing his son, then having to live with himself, and living with the God who commanded such a thing. Terrifying. Our futures can often feel uncertain, you know, mysterious. Will I get the job? Always be single? Have enough to retire on? Will my son ever have faith? But our weak faith in a strong and mighty God who over and over proves God's self to be faithful and good and nowhere is God's goodness more powerfully shown than in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, God offers us life with God, the source of all life. But we think we can build happy lives without God at the center. We've all tried it. And this inevitably leads to death because nothing can truly live apart from God. Humans brought death into the equation, not God. But because God is good, God is not willing to brush death and all the fear and pain that precedes it. God's not willing to just brush death under the carpet. And sacrifice is the death of one thing so that something else can have new life. Jesus, whom Isaac foreshadows, shows us the heart of that same God who will sacrifice to provide for you and I. At the end of our reading today, this is what God said to Abraham. Thus says the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven. No matter what your struggle is, believer and seeker alike, or what struggles come your way, because they will, a ram has been provided for you. Our struggles, even our final struggle with death, it does not have the last word. 
And while we may not receive all the blessings we want in this life, in fact, we definitely won't, there will be some. Psychological freedom, similar to what Guido Orifice gifted his son through his death. Psychological freedom now, from the need to accomplish and acquire, as if this was our one and only life. Psychological freedom now from having to measure up and maintain appearances because we're able to admit our sin and our deep need for repentance. Even the tiniest shred of faith, yours may be hanging by a thread, but even the tiniest shred in the good God revealed on the cross, it brings us those blessings. If you're a believer, read your Bible every day. Use our daily prayer guide for Lent. They're in the glass atrium. Remind yourself of how good God is. Nourish your faith. And if you're a seeker, got lots of questions, sign up for our Alpha course. It's right after Easter. Let me pray for all of us right now, just where you're seated. God of Abraham, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're faithful. Nourish and strengthen our weak faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pour your spirit into our hearts that we may follow you this coming week. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.